invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we begin reading at verse 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, in Jesus' name. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. Even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word today, and we pray now that you would quiet our hearts before you, that you would remove anything, Father, that would hinder what you want to do in our midst this morning through the preaching of your word. Father, teach us, we pray. And I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth today, the meditations of our hearts, would indeed be pleasing in your sight. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My seventh grade uh, shop teacher was Mr. Lottie, a good Finnish man. And he uh, it was a woodworking shop class. And so every time we did a new project, he would bring out a model of what he had done first. So we made things like... Um, we made a bowl, we made a candle holder, we made a pot, and several things. And whenever he'd bring out that model of what we were going to make, two things happened. Number one, it clarified what it was we were to make, okay? He showed the model, he showed the example. And the second thing it did is that it motivated us to put in an effort to try and make something like Mr. Lottie had made. And I must tell you, I wasn't always as successful as Mr. Lottie. I was never as successful as Mr. Lottie. But that model of what we were to make was what clarified 
and motivated us to get to work using those saws and sandpaper and drills and all that, just teaching us things about woodworking. In this second chapter of Thessalonians, Paul is describing his ministry in the city of Thessalonica. And he is really modeling for us what it means to be a servant of Jesus, describing what it was like there when he was in that city proclaiming the gospel. And he gives to us four very interesting pictures of what ministry is all about. The picture of an athlete, the picture of a steward, the picture of a mother, and the picture of a father. Notice, first of all, Paul gives us this picture of the boldness of an athlete. It may not seem obvious to us that Paul is using that picture here, but it would have been obvious to the Thessalonians, because he uses a word in verse 2 that, that has athletic roots. He says, But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much, and here's the word, opposition, or maybe translated as struggle or conflict. The word here, translated opposition, is, is the Greek word agon. And the agon was the stadium. So you can picture Paul describing his ministry here as an athlete who was straining, who was struggling, who was working hard like an athlete. Maybe a soccer player, huh? Maybe someone running a race. I don't know if they had baseball in those days or whatever sports they had. And so when, when Paul gives this word in verse 2, it was clear to them. He, he's giving the picture of an athlete. And interestingly enough, the word agon is the word from which we get our English word agony. Any of you ever been in agony on the field? Huh? Do I hear any amens? Agony of pain, agony of tiredness, thinking, am I going to make it through? I can still hear my basketball coach in practice making us run at the end of practice. And he'd say, fourth quarter, fourth quarter, just ringing in my... Every time I heard that, I'd think, oh, Mr. Erickson, come on. Agony. Well, that's the picture he gives. And if you look at how Paul responded to his opposition in ministry... <laughs> It's really quite amazing. He mentions in verse 2 the boldness he had in spite of what he had just faced in Philippi. He says, after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel. We know what happened in Philippi, don't we? Acts chapter 16, you have this slave girl that was disturbing Paul. She was demon-possessed. And so Paul cast demons out of this slave girl, and it caused a huge riot. There was big trouble in Philippi. Paul was publicly beaten. He and Silas were put in jail, put in stocks. Remember, at midnight, they started singing praises. The Philippian jailer was saved. That's what happened in Philippi. And Paul could have said, you know what? I don't want to face this again. I don't want to have to go through this again. Maybe I should just 
tone things down a little bit. Maybe I shouldn't be so bold. Maybe I shouldn't be so courageous. Maybe I should just take a vacation or throw in the towel and quit. So he's saying in in spite of his past suffering, he continued to preach. And then also in spite of the present opposition he was facing. He said, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you, Thessalonians, the gospel of God amid much opposition. And we just heard from Acts chapter 17 what happened when they got to the city of Thessalonica. There was a riot there. They had to send Paul out of the city. They were fearful that he would be killed. Nothing unusual for him. It seemed like every place he went, he Someone said he'd check out the jail first because he knew he'd end up there sooner or later. I mean, that was the, the kind of ministry he had. And yet, he didn't quit. He didn't throw in the towel. No matter what opposition he faced, he continued to go from place to place and he proclaimed the good news. So we might ask the question, what was it that kept him going? Well, verse 3 says, Our exhortation did not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. So what was the focus of his ministry? Not pleasing men, but pleasing God. This was a ministry that God had given to him. And if you look at verse 2, notice the phrase that says, We had the boldness in our God. There's the key, isn't it? God had given him that boldness. God had strengthened him. God had enabled him to go from place to place in spite of the suffering that he faced. It was not in his own strength, but rather in the power of of a gracious and mighty God. The boldness of an athlete. The second picture he gives here of ministry is the faithfulness of a steward. And this seems to be one of Paul's favorite pictures of ministry. That of being a steward. And we see that in verse 4 where he says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted with the gospel. That phrase speaks of stewardship. Being entrusted with something that God had given to him that he was to use then as God commanded him to use it. The gospel comes from God. And because the gospel comes from God, we are responsible to proclaim the gospel in accordance with his will. And so our goal in preaching is to please God and God alone. And many of you know that that isn't always easy. Besides the persecution that may come from preaching the word, there is the temptation to become men pleasers. We want to be accepted. huh? We want to be liked. We want people to think well of us. 
And so there's a temptation then to to soften the message in some way so that we won't be looked at as some kind of nuts huh, in our culture today. If you look at Paul's ministry, it's clear that he was not going to fall for this temptation. In verse 5, he says, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. You see, Paul was committed to please God in all that he did because he understood what it means to be a steward. He had been entrusted with the gospel and he was not going to change that message in any way. Please God and God alone. Dr. M.R. Dehan, you probably recognize that name if you've been a Daily Bread reader over the years. His son Richard writes this about his dad. He said he wasn't perfect. He had his faults. Some people even thought of him as stubborn. But he was a man of the word. And he was a man of courage. He writes, my father went home to be with the Lord on December 13th of 1965. Yet I can recall his words to me on one occasion as if he had said them yesterday. Accenting his statement by pounding his fist on the desk, he said, Richard, I don't care if the whole world differs with me. I must do what is right. It seems like the longer we live, more and more of the world are differing with us, right? Our culture is becoming so, such a moral decay. Uh, Things that were just taken for granted, you know, the value of life and marriage, one woman to one man for life. And all of these things are becoming just, just crumbling right before our eyes. And we're going to face more and more challenges in the future, more and more persecution for standing up for truth. But we need to be like M.R. Dehan, even if the whole world disagrees with me. I can do no otherwise. Remember a man that said something like that? Here I stand. Luther. Willing to confront the evil of his day, willing to take a stand for what he believed was, was right. Not seeking to please men, but to please God. Why? Because we've been entrusted with the truth. So we have the boldness of the athlete. We have the faithfulness of a steward. And then quite a, quite a different picture from what we've seen so far. The gentleness of a mother. The gentleness of a mother. In verse 6, he says, As apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority over you. 
But then in verse 7 he says, But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. I can't think of a more beautiful picture of gentleness and, and tenderness than a mother taking care of her little children. Like a nursing mother taking care of her children. Feeding and nurturing and encouraging and bandaging when little kids get hurt and wiping tears away and so forth. You know, moms, what, what that's like. I remember when I was younger, if I got hurt or sick, I didn't cry out for dad. <laughs> mom, mom. There's something about a, a mother's uh, nurturing, loving care for little children. And, and Paul says, that's what it was like when I was with you. Like a mother who cares for her little ones. And maybe we could learn something about gentleness in our day-to-day. Kindness, treating one another with love and, and care. And if you notice in verse 8, you can see why Paul was gentle with them. He says, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Why? Because you had become very dear to us. So it's not like he was just going to come there and preach the gospel and take off and say, I've done my duty. He not only gave them the gospel, he gave them his very life. Because he said, you will become dear to us. He not only loved to preach, but he loved the people to whom he preached. And I believe that's really a key to fruitful ministry, isn't it? Not just loving to, to preach. And many of us love to preach. But do we love the people to whom we proclaim God's Word? A visitor to the house where Robert Murray McShane lived and in the church where he preached asked the old sexton to tell him something about how McShane studied and preached. And so the man took him into his study and said, Sit down. So he sat at McShane's desk. And he said, now put your hands over your face. And then he said, now let the tears fall. That is the way that my master studied. And then they went into the church and into the pulpit. And he said, lean over, way over. Stretch out your hands toward the congregation. And now let the tears fall. That is the way my master preached. That's the picture we're given of this Apostle Paul, aren't we? A man who had such a fond affection for the ones to whom he proclaimed the gospel that he said, I gave you not just the gospel, but I, I gave my life. You had become dear to us. The gentleness of a mother and then the final picture is that of a father, the encouragement of a father. 
Paul says in verse 9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses. And so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. A spiritual father encourages his children, clearly by his example. Verse 10 speaks of that. Paul says, your witnesses, you saw, you witnessed how devoutly, uprightly, blamelessly we behaved towards you believers. It was not like he was saying one thing and and living another way. There was consistency there. By his example, he encouraged them. And then he exhorted them. And there's, a, there's a, a note of authority here as he encouraged them. He uses the word exhorting, verse 11, encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, challenging them. Like a father would challenge his son. Like my dad used to challenge me spiritually. When I was in high school, not walking close with the Lord, my dad would challenge me lovingly. I can still hear him saying, where is the fruit in your life? Are you spending time in the Word? Are you in prayer? Where is your relationship with Jesus? And sometimes I didn't want to hear that because I knew he was right. But he challenged me like a father would challenge his sons. So if you want to know what ministry is all about, here's a model, a great one. By the power of God, Paul shared the gospel with boldness, with faithfulness, with gentleness, and with encouragement. And that's at least part of the reason why he begins this text in verse 1. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was, was not in vain. It was not empty. It was not fruitless. Because here was a man who loved the people, who proclaimed the word, who refused to compromise, who continued in spite of suffering. And God used that ministry there. And this congregation, when you read about this congregation, as we go through this letter, here was a congregation that really God had done a wonderful work in that city. We saw last week their work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope and how they turned to God from idols to serve the living God and to wait for His Son from heaven. God had done a great work in that city. There is power in the Gospel as we proclaim it, both in word and in deed. And we have that privilege, don't we? God could have chosen some other means to reach the world. Use angels. 
that God has chosen to use you and me. We have the privilege to proclaim that life-giving, that life-saving message. The Gospel of Jesus that can turn people from darkness to light and give them a hope that goes beyond the grave. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for this model that we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. I pray, Lord, that You would work in our lives and that You would make us what You would want us to be, that You would use us, O God, to preach and teach and proclaim Your Word and to love the people to whom You put in our lives by Your power working in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.